you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Well, June is in full swing. I hope you are finding some time to just be in the midst of all the doing. The other night, I was running to my car to pick up some dinner we had ordered for Nathan's birthday supper, and I noticed that I was running. Like, I realized that I had actually been running all day, like I was literally running from one thing to the next. (laughs) June is just that way for us. I've told you this before, Nathan's birthday is in June, and just after that usually comes Father's Day, and just after that comes our anniversary, and just after that comes the birthday of our youngest, Annie Rose. It's also the month that our homeschool grades are due to our umbrella school that keeps us in check with the state of Tennessee in order to be able to homeschool. It's also the month that we usually try to get away for a week for a vacation. So it's just a lot. But this June in particular of the year 2020, even without mentioning everything that's going on in the world around us, We have a couple of milestones happening in our family this particular year. As you know, I just formally announced the title and cover of my first book, The Life You Long For, Learning to Live from a Heart of Rest. It's set to release November 10th. It's already available for pre-order, by the way, if you're just hearing this. And you can find all of that info on my website, christinockles.com. But this is a milestone. It's such big news because it has just been a long time coming, I will say. In fact, I had several friends either text me or comment on social media when I made the announcement the other day saying to me, Christy, I remember you talking about writing this book like 10 years ago. (laughs) What can I say? I've learned to just be okay with the slow. In fact, there were several moments along the way that I was writing this book and feeling a little bit of heat that I needed to get it done. But I just felt like the Lord kept bringing the phrase back to my mind, slow and steady wins the race. I hope that encourages you today, right where you are, that as the people of God, He has called us to longevity, and slow is okay. And longevity mostly looks like a long obedience in the same direction, to quote a Eugene Peterson book title that I love. Also in the milestone lineup, our youngest, Annie Rose, is turning 13 this month. I've shared with you all before that we've set a precedence in our home that turning 13 is just a big deal. We consider it a rite of passage moment in life and a season in particular where young men and young women just need an extra boost of affirmation of who they are, and they need to hear it from really specific people in their lives. They need to hear it from us, their parents, grandparents, friends, and peers, extended family, teachers, mentors, people who have just even been a part of their mundane These are the trusted voices that God can really use to bring confidence and encouragement around their identity, who God made them to be, and who we believe that He's also making them to be. My patrons have heard all about the rite of passage ceremony that we held for Noah when he turned 13. He will be 20 this summer, by the way. Wow, that is actually another milestone all in itself. That's in July, but still it's huge. But when he was 13... 
We really tried to tailor each celebration around our kids' personalities. So for Noah, we had a house full, probably about 50 people. Noah is still very social. He's very much sort of the center, I think, of his friend group. He's kind of that people gatherer of his friend group. We spent a lot of time having some important men that night read some letters over his life. We prayed over him. We even had a time of worship. It was really precious. But I will also say, that we had a dance floor delivered to our front yard and hired a barista and a DJ. (laughs) That was tailor-made for who Noah is and especially who he was as a 13-year-old, just the life of the party. For Ellie, we had just moved back to Franklin, Tennessee from Atlanta when she turned 13, so she didn't really have friends locally yet in order to sort of invite them to something that monumental and special. But I was able to get 15 or so young women who were older, trusted voices in her life, women that had been her nannies, her tutors, mentors, and just close family friends who have been walking with us for a really long time. And I got them to come and surprise her in the kitchen. They all spent the night. It was such a beautiful time. Her birthday's in December. So I remember us just all sitting quietly around the fire that night as she opened some really special gifts. But even more important than that, all those women took time to either read their letter over her or speak something life-giving into her life that night. And looking back on it, that fit Ellie to a T. For Annie Rose, it's probably going to be somewhere in between there. She is way more the dance party girl, and so some of that's going to be happening. But we're also, of course, trying to figure out how to gather people when everyone has sort of a different threshold on the whole social distancing thing. So we're figuring all of that out. I've often in the past called Annie Rose our cruise director of our family because she is truly gifted, actually, at keeping us on our toes with what's coming next. She is a planner, and she's got specific ideas on how she wants things to look and feel. I could actually see her being a designer or an event planner. She's seriously amazing at it already. You should see her room. I've had to learn to be okay with the fact that it's just constantly evolving and changing, and she needs that. She needs to be hands-on with it. But she's asked me so many times about her birthday coming up, Mom, what are we doing? You know, we've got to go get decorations. I want this color and this color. And me, who's just okay with taking things a little bit slow, I have to just learn to tell her, Annie Rose, I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but I do know this. You will feel loved and celebrated. I do know that. You can count on it. (laughs) Well, another truly precious milestone for Nathan and I is that it is our 25th anniversary this month. It's actually really hard to believe it. I think we always imagined that on our 25th anniversary that we would be going on a big trip to Italy or something. We've never been to Italy or Paris for that matter. Those seem like, you know, destinations for anniversaries. We talked about it last year and it was sort of that conversation of, well, we could do a couple of things to the house that we've been wanting to do, or we could choose a trip to Italy. 
Our style, FYI, would not be a fancy hotel if we did that. We would look for Airbnbs on the countryside somewhere. We'd choose riding bikes over driving a car in a foreign country. (laughs) We'd choose museums and bakeries over city nightlife for sure. We have a friend who specializes in helping people sort of string together a little tour of Italy like that, that style. So we had thought about trying to do something like that. Well, praise God, we didn't spend any time or money pursuing that because as we all know, we'd be up a creek with that right about now. Yesterday, we talked about it and both of us know that we need to do something to commemorate such a wonderful, extraordinary milestone in some way, shape, or form. We will do that. But until that, we have decided that at least this episode is going to be dedicated to 25 years of marriage and ministry together. So today, my guest is going to be my husband, Nathan. I've interviewed Nathan before, mainly around the time that our Lullaby album was released, but I thought it would be fun to have him on once again, just to reflect and remember together the past 25 years together. They've been wonderful. Before Nathan and I sit together and chat, I'd love to read our psalm over us today, the portion of Psalm 119, and I'd also love to share our Hebrew letter that is attached to this portion of the acrostic, which again, not surprising, it lines up so beautifully with today's theme. Today's letter for Psalm 119, 57 through 64, is the letter Ket, or you say it with that thing in the back of your throat, and it's going to be embarrassing if I try, but it's like Ket. I'm sure I'm still not saying it right, but it's spelled C-H-E-T, but said like, I can't even do it. (laughs) Nathan's already laughing at me. If you look at the painting that Ellie provided us, you can see that the letter Ket is made of the letter Vav and the letter Zion, which are our two previous letters. In fact, these two letters are joined together at the top by a thin connecting line. If you'll remember, Vav means man, and Zion means crowned man, who we know is Jesus. And one of the meanings of today's letter is that it represents spending time with others because of the crowned man, because of Jesus. So it speaks of this sort of familiar connectedness with others because of Jesus. Ket also symbolizes a doorway. Jesus is this doorway where we enter by faith and we go from death to life because of His finished work on the cross, His resurrection. The gematria or numerical value of Ket is eight, and this number in Hebrew represents resurrection life or new beginnings. I love that. Another gematria of Ket is also 13, because if you add Vav and Zion, which are the numbers six and seven, if you'll remember, you have 13, which is the same value as the word love in Hebrew culture. I love that. There's one more meaning of ket that I really love and wanted to make sure and mention. According to HebrewForChristians.com, the connecting line between Vav and Zion symbolizes the yoke of Jesus and that it's in love that He disciples us. He doesn't force His way of life upon us, but He actually gives us the choice to walk through the doorway. He is a gentle and patient shepherd. 
I love that. So the yoke, it's referring to Matthew 29 when Jesus says, come to me. If you're weary, take my yoke upon you. Take my way of doing life upon you. So I love that, that connecting line up there between man and the crowned man that can be looked at as the yoke of Jesus. I thought today's letter was so fitting in so many ways as we're celebrating 25 years of marriage. There's really no better picture of marriage than this letter to me. Marriage works to its fullest potential and capacity when we are yoked together with Jesus, when our relationship is foundationally based upon Jesus. And what's even more fascinating that this letter fell on today's episode is that I have always described marriage as a series of doorways that you choose to walk through together as husband and wife. In a lot of ways, marriage is a series of new beginnings. It's also about having to leave some things behind. It's about necessary losses. And by that, I mean laying down ourselves in order to honor the other person. It's a laying down of pride and getting our own way in order to move together into growth and change and into those new beginnings. Hear me say that this kind of laying down of self is only fruitful when both people are participating. I'm not talking about a lopsided laying down of self where one person continually gets trampled on or even abused. This is when it's more than appropriate to find godly counsel to work as a third party in helping both sides come into alignment under the yoke of Jesus again. But how this is supposed to work is really a mutual submission. But because I do believe in God's order of gender-specific roles in a marriage and that those specific roles all fit within the framework of being made in the image of God, we each have these beautiful different roles when it comes to submission in a marriage. Paul laid this out for us in Ephesians 5, verse 18 says, be filled with the Spirit. Again, we talk about order all the time on this podcast, don't we? We must be filled with the Spirit in order to be in a marriage that works and be in a marriage where there's growth and new beginnings. We have to be filled with the Spirit. We've got to be under the yoke of Jesus. It says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So I know this is a feather-ruffling passage. (laughs) It makes us a bit squirmy, and we don't like to talk about it. But here's the thing. I woke up early this morning thinking about this, and as I was pondering, I looked over at the doorway of our master bedroom, and I imagined Nathan and I trying to fit through the opening together, like shoulder to shoulder, each wanting our own way, kind of trying to like both shove through the door first. What if we fought like this to be first in our relationship? I think it would physically, but also especially spiritually, look like trying to squeeze through doorways together everywhere we'd go, like shoulder to shoulder, like I'm going to fit first. To walk through the doorway of new beginnings in the Lord, though, we have to let go of the old. We have to let go of our way. We have to let go of our rights and our wants and our desires in honor of the other, but also 
as in reverence for Christ. One of my major roles as a wife is to let Nathan lead, to let him go on ahead of me into the doorway, to lead out in front. Now, this doesn't mean that I don't get to question him every once in a while or to weigh in on how he's going to lead or to speak up when I feel the Holy Spirit prompting me about something specific. I still get to do all these things, and Nathan is kind to weigh through the questions with me. He's man enough to let me speak in, but ultimately, I have to allow him the chance to lead us. Now, here's Paul's address to the husband's. In Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So again, this picture, it only works when both the husband and the wife are participating in relinquishing their own way and looking out for the other one first. Husbands are told to give themselves up for their wives as Christ did the church, to love her as he does his own body. This is no small thing. But here's what's really beautiful. When the wife lets the husband lead and the husband loves his wife like his own body, you each end up putting the other first. Under the yoke of Jesus, when the husband is given permission to lead, often his response is to turn around and let his wife go first through the doorway. Supernaturally, I believe a mystery happens. The two become one, and you actually do go through the doorway together, each person feeling that they have been put first, each person being respected, each role having done what they can to submit and to honor and respect and love. It's a beautiful thing. And here's the thing. Often the new beginnings don't start until you faithfully and humbly walk through the doorway together as one. Often what follows a leaving behind of the old is a season of consolation and even bliss in married life. Is married life always bliss? No, but there are seasons of bliss, seasons of consolation. But then because marriage is really just preparation for eternity and we're helping each other be made more like Jesus every day, there's always going to be another set of doors. There's always going to be another doorway this side of heaven in our future. Sometimes they are going to be really narrow doorways, and you can't imagine how you are both going to fit through it. There's another sharpening that has to happen. For Nathan and I, most of this sharpening happened in the first years of our marriage, the first seven to be exact, but then it's come back in the last few years, and it's taken a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. To get through the last few doorways as one together, I will say this. It's been hard, but it's been worth the fight. It's always worth the laying down of self because in the end, we end up picking each other up 
in a way, and carrying each other through the doorway. We end up knowing each other better in the end, seeing each other better, and loving each other more fully. Wow, all of that from a Hebrew letter. (laughs) But as you look at the letter Ketz this week, maybe be reminded of how to pray for your own marriage in a new way, for Jesus to help you both rest under His yoke, which He tells us again, Matthew 29, is it's easy and His burden is light. He tells us, come, all you who are weary, I will give you rest for your weary souls. If you're not married, maybe you can find rest knowing that you are bolstered to the crowned man, the God-man, who is Jesus. You can experience fullness in Him, and you can know that He's also sharpening you and making you more like Jesus every day as you seek out healthy friendships and connections in the body of Christ but also as you own your singleness in this season and relishing in the fact that you are also walking through doorways of growth with Jesus. You too have new beginnings as you commit to walk with Him, submit to Him, and let Him lead you. Well, I'm going to read our passage over us, and then you'll hear the interview kick in, and Nate and I will explore some of these verses together. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Psalm 119 57 through 64. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Well, I'd like to welcome to the podcast my husband, the one and only Nathan Knuckles. Hey, how are you? Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks. Happy 25th anniversary. Thank you. Almost. Just in a couple of days. Uh, 16th. Yeah. Can you believe it's been that long? Um, no, I can't. But then you start thinking about, okay, 1996. Okay, 1997. (laughs) And then you start thinking about our uh, baggy jeans we would buy at The Gap. And then you're like, And the shirt, how about the shirt that I have on literally Right right now? Which is okay, a denim y'all. shirt. <laughs> this is, I have on a Gap button down that Nathan was wearing when we had our first kiss. It is a denim button down, and I wear it at least twice a week. <laughs> I worked at the Gap, and I got the, uh, whatever, the uh, employee discount. discount. Yeah. So we have several things of yours that are classics. Mm-hmm. Gap yeah. kind of made classics. They don't make them like this anymore. They don't make them like they used to. No. Yeah. So when you start thinking about cl- in terms of like the years and what movies were out and then clothes, <laughs> it seems like a long time. <laughs> We've lived <laughs> okay. a lot of life together. Yeah. For I mean, sure. we grew up together. Really? Mm-hmm. We, we were have. T- 20. I was 19 when I met you. 19. You were 20. almost 20. You were turning 20 because we met in mm-hmm. June, right? Yeah. So we absolutely did grow up together. Yeah. We've been together more than we have apart. It's 
which is always a weird threshold to pass <laughs> when you think we've lived more life together than we did apart. It really is. It's amazing. Well, there are a few verses in this week's passage that actually reminded me of us and our journey together, and I thought we'd use these three verses as sort of lampposts throughout this conversation. The first one is verse 57 that says, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. First of all, this is kind of like a call and response. It's like, the Lord is my portion. And so my response to that is, I promise to keep your words, Lord. This phrase literally refers to a portion of territory in the promised land. I was reading today, Christopher Ash. As I've also been reading in the Old Testament, I've been reminded that the Levites, they were actually the first worship leaders. They didn't get a portion of the land, right? All the other tribes did, but the Levites didn't get a portion. Instead, it says that the Lord was their portion, that they would inherit. This made the Levites sort of this visible example or sign that the promised land was not the final destination of the people of God. Instead, the presence of the Lord in the new creation when we join God in what Christopher Ash calls his eternal seventh-day Sabbath rest, this is going to be our full inheritance. So really to say the Lord is my portion is really to say, Lord, I believe in your covenant promise and I will rest all my security in the one who promises me this kind of future. In many ways, I feel like the Lord is my portion could sort of be the banner verse over our whole marriage. On this 25th anniversary, I feel like one thing that we can look back on and truly celebrate is the way that God has caused there just to be rest around what our true inheritance is. First of all, I think one of the things that you and I are really aware of because we actually don't have real jobs right. <laughs> is that God has truly provided through the years miraculously. That's one of those things that we look back on. And we know that money or you know security in that way is not our inheritance. And that's one of the things I'm really thankful for is that I feel like we've been able to grasp that because we don't have a paycheck that hits our account at the same time every month. And we've had to look to the Lord. Do you remember that moment in our first apartment where we literally had that conversation? It was like, what if we didn't get real jobs? <laughs> right. What if we just went for it? Because you were going to school and you were going to teach music. You were mm -hmm. you got a degree in music education, which I'm glad you did. Sure. But you never use that because I remember that moment of us just going, okay, what if we just trust God and we pursue this thing we love? Do you remember that moment? I do, yeah. Where, again, it plays into uh, we were so young, so we didn't know what we were actually saying. <laughs> and what we were saying was, hey, let's just literally take our hands off the wheel here. And just let Jesus take the wheel. Amen. <laughs> but seriously, but that's seriously. what we were saying yeah. was just, which is scary to think about now. And those decisions that we have to make now, being the age we are now, it's a lot scarier because we're very conscious of the weight. But no, that, that was a time where we uh, verbalized the idea that, you know what, we're just, we're just going to go with what God made us to do. I feel like the Lord has protected us in many ways through the years by allowing some of that. I don't know if it's naivety, 
but just sort of an innocence in some ways of maybe not allowing ourselves or just protecting us, like you said, from the full weight of the fact that we don't know next month even where the next paycheck is coming from, but in a way that it's it's been something that's, I think, built our faith. And I think that's why when I do read about the Levites, because I consider you and I both worship leaders, um, you might, yours might look a different way. You might not be standing in front of people and leading them in an actual song, but you're behind the scenes very much making all of that happen for that worship leader. You say often that you feel like it's like getting to you know, help put a megaphone in the worship leader's mouth. You're that producer. You're that that behind the scenes person that's allowing that. So I very much though consider you and I both um, sort of like modern Levites. And so in some ways, when I look at that, like the Lord is my portion, um, that's very sweet to me, and I, it makes me think of of you and I having to just sort of truly, like you said, let Jesus take the wheel all these years. And trust that God is going to come through. And I've said this before, probably on my podcast, but just sometimes when I'm at Kroger and I just swipe the debit card, I just thank the Lord after all these years, not only for Him providing, but for us just getting to do what we love. Something else I thought about, about just the Lord being our portion I think it's just the fact that, and I don't know if we talked about this the last time I interviewed, but interviewed you, we never had this sort of like skyrocket moment in our career. Um, I've talked about this before, but you know, Nathan and I were watermark all those years ago, a Christian duo, Christian CCM duo. <laughs> um, that was how we first sort of made our interest into Christian music. And but we never, even with that, had sort of this skyrocketing moment. It's just been this steady, very slow climb. I said earlier, sort of that long obedience in the same direction. But I believe that it's really helped us to arrive at this place of wanting longevity and wanting to leave a legacy. What would you speak into that, especially about what longevity has meant and why that's important rather than that skyrocketing moment of a career that might actually fizzle right out. <laughs> right. I, th- I think a lot of these things that we're talking about aren't obvious in the moment, of course. And I think that's how God's faithfulness is and why remembering is such a huge piece to our faith. Mm. Um, it's only when we look back and we're like, oh, okay, I see, I see what God was doing. I do so. I remember moving here in ninety, and moving here meaning meaning Franklin, yeah, Tennessee, the first time I lived here in ninety eight, and uh, we didn't have a sense of like, you know, here we come, world, with our fist on our hip, and <laughs> we're gonna knock them dead. You know, <laughs> it was more like we just really had a deep longing to be a part of this community. Mm-hmm. And to be a part of this city, and I just loved it when we would go to Starbucks or to the mall, and there'd be like people writing songs, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, in the back. And I remember going into like a sunglasses hut one time, and the worker, the guy that was working there, was writing a song. You know, yeah. I just, I just loved it. And um, 
And it's fun now that I look back. God made us who we are, and he knew that we belonged here. And so we just wanted to just to be here, and we had no idea how or why mm. or what or anything, but we just knew we wanted to be here. Yeah. I think like when I think about the synergy in this town that you're talking about, like I feel like that is maybe what brought us back the second time, you know, just missing that. We loved Atlanta. We loved our friends. But I think something about Franklin has always brought us back here to sort of this synergy. And what I love about maybe just, I don't know, being around the industry again, I think some of that naivety there has also slipped in in a good way of where we don't necessarily view this town. I think some people move here and they get really discouraged of, oh, I'm just a, you know, small fish in a huge pond. And, but for whatever reason, I think because we've always had our sights set on sort of that longevity piece or um, leaving a legacy or just doing what we love a little bit at a time and not trying to ever have this moment where we had this explosion of success, but really looking at success as, like you said, being in this community community through the years, being a part of people's lives, hopefully us now being sort of a, a fixture in the community that people kind of know, like they can count on us. We've got certain people who will call or know that we're going to be there for them because we've sort of stood the test of time in that way. But I look back and just think those relationships, this community, those are the things that I believe that we've come to treasure and that have meant so much to us Mm -hmm. over the years. I have a chapter in the new book called The Power of Small. It's all about the ways that we can tap into our fullest capacity in the here and now, but maybe in more mundane and small ways than we ever imagined. And I think the last several years, you know, you and I have been part of some big things in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, we started out um, the very first Passion Conference. Um, maybe it wasn't the biggest thing in the world, but we had no idea that it, it was, was going to... It was to us. It was to us at the time. Um, that was back in 97, um, they were just beginning, and I remember, we've probably told this story before, but getting an email from a guy named Louis Giglio. We are like, who's Louis Giglio? <laughs> we later found out it was Giglio, and that he and his wife Shelly were starting a collegiate ministry, and they had gotten a hold of an album that we had made with Charlie Hall, our friend, called Holy Roar. But we had no idea, did we, that that was going to really call us into a 20-year journey mm-hmm. of leading for passion and um, being a part of some big moments with them. Um, conferences, you know, with over 60,000 college students, um, world tours. Do you have a favorite memory oh, of some of those no, years? They're all <laughs> they're all great memories. Probably my favorite memories would be not the things that you would think. They probably have nothing to do with the stage, or it probably has more to do with um, a rehearsal, you know. Or actually, I just thought of one you and me, Charlie and Louie, at First Baptist Houston in 1998, 97, 
And I've blocked pick- this out of my memory. I have no idea what well, you're going to say. <laughs> we're all picking the songs for oh, the next yeah. Passion, Passion 99. And we're like, okay, now what song should we do? Charlie said, well, there's this guy. He lives in England. His name's Matt Redman. And he's got this song called uh, uh, Heart of Worship. We're like, oh, cool title, you know. So he plays the song, and we're like, oh, that's awesome. And then he's like, well, on that same record, he's got this other one called uh, Let Everything That Has Breath. Mm -hmm. And then there was another one, uh, Better's One Day. Yeah. We're like, these are awesome. We just need to (laughs) do all of his songs. So I do love that. And it is fun 20-whatever years later to look back and be like, we were just had no idea. Yeah. Had no idea what uh, God was doing mm-hmm. and the whole, this giant story he was writing. And we we got to be like the first three or four sentences. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to be in the room. Yeah. You know, we got to watch. So those, those are my funnest memories. Yeah, I hope that's an encouragement to everyone out there. You know, through the years we've had people come up and say, you know, how do I get to do what you do? Or, or maybe it's not singing or worship leading or songwriting that you want to do with your life, but you are kind of trying to put the pieces together with, with you know with what God has next for you. I hope that encourages you that it's never been this like thing where it it makes perfect sense and it's like this moment that you're like, yes, yeah, sign on the dotted line. It's like literally a thousand, a million of these small moments (laughs) that you're like, okay, yeah, we had that conversation. We sat down and listened to these songs for this guy in England, and we had no idea that Matt would, you know, eventually move over to the United States and be a part of even helping us plant Passion City Church for a while, um, having a season where we all lived in Georgia together. It's just amazing to look back on that and just to see like these, almost like this huge puzzle and God just pulling these pieces together. It's really beautiful. And I hope that just encourages some of you out there who are sort of in the waiting room of life right now and waiting on God to, to piece things together. I hope you know that it's just that long obedience in the same direction, it's really is okay if it's slow. And a lot of times he works in the small and in the slow. Um, I think about my favorite moments. I'd have to say um, for a while, we were able to write songs together as the passion band, I guess you would say. Chris Tomlin, Matt Redman. um, Who else was involved? Matt Moore, Jason Ingram. Ed Cash. Yes, a lot of amazing writers. I was, at that point, still really the only girl in the room for most of that. But I remember getting to gather at this little cabin and write songs together. Those are probably some of my favorite memories. I remember getting to be a part of writing the song, Lord, I Need You, around a farm table um, after we had just had Chipotle. And... (laughs) But just praying together, opening our Bibles together around that farm table and talking about wanting to ask the Lord for a modern hymn. And that's how Lord I Need You was born. Um, One of my favorite moments also was getting to be in Uganda together um, on the Passion Tour as we did a world tour. And that night, I remember it had rained in the field. I might have told this story before, but... None of us knew what to expect. We had an album that, you know, was created in January as we often did albums in January because of the conference being sort of the first couple of days of the new year. 
But we had no idea if it had reached Uganda yet. We didn't know if these students were going to know any of the songs. But it was so sweet, even after a day of just flooding rains. We weren't sure if anyone was going to show up. And that night, I'll never forget taking the stage and looking out and just being in awe. And we all on the stage were looking at each other like we couldn't believe the amount of students who showed up. They say, I don't know the number, you never know. It's 20 to 30,000 students showed up in that field, in a muddy field that night. And I remember we had a song that was on that new album called White Flag, and it's all about surrendering to God. And we were we started singing it. We didn't know if they were going to know it. And as we're leading it, we get to that chorus. We raise our white flag. We surrender all to you, all for you. I promise you there were probably 10,000, it looked like at least to us, 10,000 white handkerchiefs that they pulled out of their pockets, I guess. Later, we were like, did they all plan that? Did they like send a memo out? to say, hey, bring a white hanky tonight so when we sing the chorus of white flag that we can all wave these flags together in the night. And so we're looking out. There's hardly any lights. We had pretty low budget production for that night. But just looking out on that field and seeing thousands of white flags in that field in Uganda waving. And not only did they know the song, they knew it in English, and they were yelling it to the top of their lungs. That's probably one of my favorite memories. So yes, we've been a part of some big moments like that mm-hmm. where thousands of students have gathered. Well, you were a part of that moment. I was at home taking care of the kids. <laughs> but I'm glad you had that moment. <laughs> That's true. We took turns in that season. We did. You went to Tokyo. I didn't uh, get to I go to lots Tokyo. Of fun. I had lots of fun trips. <laughs> um, But yeah, it feels like just this season in the last probably five years, um, we've had these beautiful small moments and we've kind of moved, not that we're not a part of big things. I find myself getting to, you know, join friends with their movements and things still to this day. But I think it's the small things that we've maybe a part of that longevity we've started to really appreciate. You've said this before. I think when we're around our deathbeds, we're not going to be remembering those arena size moments. No, no. I do think of like, even as a producer here in Nashville, I know that I've missed out on some big records. And I can recall meetings I've had with uh, with bands and they've said, okay, man, we just, we want to put a studio in a house and we just want to live in this house and record this record you know, we'll go for like six weeks. We'll just live together, eat together, make a record together. And I'm looking at him like, guys, I am not the guy for you. I'm just, <laughs> I'm not there. I'm not willing to pay that price. Meaning I'm not willing to be away from my kids. I'm not willing to be away from my wife. Mm-hmm. I kind of do the banker's hours with the uh, production. So I kind of go nine to six. And so I know that that decision has kind of cost me some big some bigger mm-hmm. records. But what you brought up before, uh, I do have this, every decision I make, whether I say yes or no to a record or whatever I'm doing, or 
am I going to just work tonight? Am I just going to work through dinner? It'd be easier, you know, or work till 10 or 11. Well, the decision I make today, I want to draw a straight line to when I'm 80, Yeah. you know, and I'm sitting in my chair and I'm smoking my pipe and my, I'm watching <laughs> You're going to smoke or, a pipe? Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> TBA. Uh, uh, I have to know that when I'm 80 and I got grandkids sitting around and probably great grandkids and great grandkids. Am I going to remember, Oh man, that record we made back in whatever, whatever, just, man, we killed it. No, (laughs) I'm not going to remember any of that. What I will remember is being home at six o'clock and being with the kids and being a part of their life Mm -hmm. and, taking my kids to school and going and picking them up. And it's that, it's that stuff yeah. that actually holds us together. And that that's where I've felt God's presence most in my life. And it's tricky and deceiving because yeah. your instinct is, oh, well, you don't feel God in front of 60,000 whatever college screaming. And get, it's like, well... I mean, I know he's there and he moves. Uh, I would say just as powerfully, he's moving yeah. in our front yard, yeah. you know, with our kids. And he moves just as much when I say, you know what, I can't do that record. And That's right. I'm going to be faithful to my kids. And I, I'm going to know that this is this is going to pay off in the end. Hmm. It's like what I talked about a few weeks ago with just the little moments of our lives becoming our legacy, our ordinary becoming our offering. And I really have watched you do that through the years. I've watched you sacrifice and honestly sat there at a lot of Dev Awards where you weren't named producer of the year, even though in my heart, you're always a producer of the year. (laughs) But I know also that it was because you made those sacrifices. It's because you wouldn't. And I'm not to say that those, this isn't to say that those other guys are this or that. It's just for whatever reason... Um, you were producer of the year to me because you always came upstairs and helped me with dinner. And we've talked about that before of just, you helped with the bedtime routine. And I've seen that now. And again, this is encouragement to all of you parents out there that you are going to reap what you sow in all of these small moments in the front yard. Like Nathan just said, um, you're going to reap a harvest. And it feels like we're getting to reap some of that now Mm -hmm. when I see Noah come in from a beach trip a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. and he hugged you a lot longer than he hugged me. (laughs) And then he sat with you for no joke, two hours, and then you watched a movie together. Mm -hmm. And that is the harvest of your life of making those sacrifices and choosing our family. And, you know, he talks to you mostly about the girl that he has a crush on. <laughs> Don't say. <laughs> I know, I'm not going to say anything. But I do believe it's because you've made those power of small choices. Yeah, yeah. It's. I'm just a huge believer in that. I just, I, I love that. And every once in a while, we get to do fun stuff. And we all do. We all yep. get to have fun things that happen, but... I don't know. I have this thing ringing in my head that I had I had five brothers and sisters growing up and we had a big family and our family was very chaotic and my mom 
spent, and she would, she would tell you this, but my mom spent most of her days and her hours and her minutes just trying to make it to the next minute mm-hmm. and to the next hour. Mm-hmm. And she rarely, if ever, kind of stopped and looked at us in the face and asked us, what, you know, what do you, what do you love? What are you passionate about? You know, what are you, what are you thinking right now? Mm-hmm. You know, and you're fascinating. And she was just trying to like, how am I going to get all these crazy kids Six out the door? Yeah. My mom tells me now, she said, Nathan, I would do anything to go, just go back to just a normal, plain old school day where mm-hmm. all of you guys were mm-hmm. living at the house and I had to make your lunches and you all got in our white piece of junk station wagon and I drove you to this weird Christian school, <laughs> dropped you off, and then I had to come get you and take you to baseball practice. And she's like, I would do anything to live one more day like that. And mm. So I'm constantly reminded of what my mom said. And I don't know. I just, I think of that, if not every day, every other day. Mm, it's beautiful. Okay, so the second lamppost, verse 59. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I think this verse means I know my own tendencies. When I think on my ways, I know my own shortcomings. I know my weaknesses and my ability to mess a lot of things up. So I believe the psalmist is saying, so God, I just turn my feet toward you today because I know my ways. Earlier in the introduction, I talked about some of our fights we've endured even recently. I'm not going to go into detail. Don't worry. Yeah. And in you order can, you to, can if you want. I'm, I'm all right. I'm confident. But in order to sort of arrive at that place, what I was saying, of being one as we walk through the doorway together, leaving old things behind, walking into new beginnings together. You know me well now. You know, a lot of people think I'm really chill, but and I am chill for a lot of the time, but you would say, and you've told me this a lot, I don't settle for mediocre. I want to and long to experience all the life God offers, even when it means that we have to kind of fight to get there. What would you say to couples out there who might be finding it hard to arrive at that place of becoming one so that they can walk through the doorway of new beginnings together? Maybe they're afraid to lay down their will, their way. What would you say? Oh, that's such a softball, easy question. (laughs) You got something? Then knock more. it out of the park. Okay, we'll get ready, y'all. <laughs> Video series is coming out on iTunes. And no, I th- I think a big revelation that I have had and y- you have had. I feel like, and I can't put a timetable on it, but realizing how we're different. And I think in the beginning, when you're dating and you first get married, you're always celebrating the fact that oh my gosh, we're so alike. We are exactly <laughs> alike, you know. But you're talking in terms of she likes fettuccine alfredo and I like fettuccine alfredo. <laughs> We're meant to be, you know. And now you realize like, oh my gosh. We both love father of the bride. We both we are supposed to get married. <laughs> right. Well, so did, you know, 100% of the rest of the population. Love that right. movie. So the fact that oh wait, we're completely different people. Yeah. Like, we're literally different people. So, realizing that first, and that's not that's not a negative thing. That's not a bad thing. Right. That's actually an amazing thing. And then, I also think of that, that thought people say, how boring would it be if your spouse was just like you? 
Yeah. I mean, you literally just sit around and look at each other and be like, I just, <laughs> I don't never, I don't know. I mean, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. You know, it, we just, the cool part I think about our marriage is I've, I've found in 25 years, I've found myself in situations and I think to myself, I would never have put myself in this situation. Whether we're like, you know, I don't know, uh, in Israel. Right. You know, we're on this, you know, top of this mountain where this thing happened. And I'm just like, I just never would have done this. This is so out of my element. But you're the one that you've been passionate about this Israel thing for years. And you're like, we're, we're going. We need to go. We need to go. And I'm like, yeah, okay, babe. That's fantastic. Um, but realizing that we're completely and totally different in that's something that we have to embrace. And it's not my job to knock off all your corners and to smooth out all your edges. And it's not your job to knock off all my edges. What we do have to do is to leave room for you to be the fullest you you can be. And and you do that for me also. You create room in our marriage to where I can be fully me. Now, all that to say, we have to continually grow in our faith and become more like Jesus and better people. And I have to come out of my shell a lot more because of you. And then at the same time, you stretch yourself towards me and then there's that in between. I don't know. I just, if someone's engaged, getting ready to get married, I'm just going to look at them both. And I'm going to say, you know, you guys are completely different, right? <laughs> you don't, it's okay. And it's that's okay. to be celebrated and yeah. it's to be em- fully embraced. Now you're going to have to just figure out how to have patience with each other and consider this thing a, a wild, amazing ride because you are so different. Mm. I think, too, in the last few years, we've had more sharpening than we have in a long time because I think as you grow older in a marriage, you become more and more secure in who you are individually. So you're growing into your wirings. But I've also seen you, like you said, I've seen you grow more like Jesus in the last few years than you ever have. And so I think it is, it's like both and you're getting more secure in who you are. And so when, when it comes to us having a discussion, <laughs> we don't, we don't fight either. You said fight. I'm thinking like, I mean, we don't yell at I each other. I hate your guts. You know, it's, it's not like that. <laughs> but I usually well, have we're to, disagreeing strongly. I usually will have to like leave the room sometimes because right. I don't want to say things. That I'll regret, or I just need a minute. I need some space. But I think it is like that beauty of the both and of you realizing how different we really are. And it's intensified because we're growing more and more, I guess, comfortable in our own skin and like who we are and our wirings and knowing. And like you said, celebrating that we are different. And so I think lately, maybe we've experienced that sharpening probably because we're carrying a lot right now that tends to cause just pressure and things and we have to always a lot of our meetings together fights whatever you want to call them discussions 
are kind of that something's got to give type fight. And so I don't know if recently maybe there's just been more of that because we're carrying a lot more. But as I was saying earlier, it is so true, you know, in order to walk through that doorway together, it takes, like you're saying, making room for each other. And I want to say thank you for making room. You're so welcome. For me to be me. But you really have. (laughs) You've always given me a lot of freedom and... If I've ever needed you to help me even make space creatively, like even to write the book, you held down the fort for a lot of those nights, for a lot of weeks. So thank you for doing that. As they say at Chick-fil-A, it's been my pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, third lamppost. Before we end, I couldn't help but sort of be stopped in my tracks by this verse, verse 62. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. We've had some midnight songs in our day, haven't we? Yes. I think this verse means literally midnight because my guess is that the psalmist couldn't sleep and he was remembering, as we said earlier, that's important, remembering on his bed the way that God rules the world and comforting his own soul by worshiping God in it. But I also think that it can mean seasons of midnight, those dark nights of the soul and even seasons of suffering that we might endure before we hit the doorway of the dawn of a new day. As I said before, we were watermark at one point, and I couldn't help but think of a watermark song that was definitely a midnight song. And we've talked about it before on this podcast, but Glory Baby I couldn't help but think of that song first and foremost. It was, I think, the first time that we'd ever grieved together. And I remember that being really hard. I talk about it in the book, actually, of sort of putting up walls. I did because I was afraid to grieve together. But it was a vulnerable song to write, to sing, and to really open myself up to the Lord, but also to open myself up to you, but you, in turn, I remember the production angle you took with that song was very interesting. Mm -hmm. If you go listen to it, it's probably on iTunes or somewhere like that, Spotify. You made it really hopeful sounding. Yeah. I suppose it was because, obviously, the lyrics carried a really heavy message. Mm -hmm. But to offset that and put, the, I always think of the the band and the arrangement and the production as sort of the cradle that the lyrics sit in. So you can frame whatever, however you want. So if it's a heavy subject that kind of, mm. you know, pulls at our heart, it's, uh, I think there's a, that's the funnest challenge for me is to find a way to, yes, it's sad, but there's this line, the string of hope yeah. that the weed that's weaved all the way through the song. I think that's how that whole season was, and you can read about it in the book, but it was such a, yeah, like the first time we'd ever grieved together, but I think it was the first time that we had ever experienced having to truly hold on to hope through something, and we were so young, um, and we never imagined one of the songs that we would carry on a tour that we were on at the time, A Point of Grace, which was like our first Big tour. I think we did 85 cities Mm -hmm. that year with Point of Grace. But we never imagined that the spring leg of that tour would be us 
singing a lullaby to a baby that was in heaven. Yeah. It was hard to sing, I think, because I didn't know if we would ever get pregnant. And so part of it was hard to sing that in front of people, not knowing, you know, is this ever going to change for us? Are we ever going to be parents? But I think it was the first time we learned to hold on to hope together and what that might look like. I think that time of grieving, that was that was a good chance for me to understand that it looks different for you and than it does for me. Yeah. You know, and it was, we handled it completely differently. But what was so cool is that we had the gift of being able to come together on that song. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we kind of grieved together. Yeah. Uh, writing that song and then creating it. Because you wrote the first three lines of it after the first miscarriage. And yeah. then we had the second miscarriage. That's when we were thinking, like, is this just like our thing? Is this our like going to be our story? We're going to this is going to be our ministry. We're going to go around and talk about this, and yeah. And then the rest of the song came rushing out after the second one. It was a time where you grieved your way, I grieved my way, but we got to come together on that song, Glory Baby. It was such a sweet way to commemorate those babies, the loss, but also I think. That suffering later on, not right away, I think we found is eventually for the sharing. And there's always something that we can receive during a season of suffering. I write about that in the book of just what we're able to receive, even in times of of grief and in times of um, things not turning out as planned. Um, So that was a midnight song that I'll never forget, and it's been one that's been a part of the healing of many, many families. We've gotten you know, letters after letters, comments mm-hmm. and messages after messages over the years of how God has used that. We had no idea how He was going to use it. Another song, a midnight song that I think of is the song Invade. And I remember it was around a time when we lived in Franklin for the first time. The kids were little. Uh, you were randomly kind of traveling a lot to back and forth to England. You had some worship leaders, Matt Redmond being one of them, Tim Hughes, that you were working with. Um, do you remember that time? It was when, I don't know if I've, I think I've talked about the brown recluse spiders <laughs> on this podcast, but that was the brown recluse spider house. I think I have, yes. That was that time. And, and I think I told the story where you actually took a brown recluse spider over to yeah, England. Yeah, I took it over to England. I mean, there's only basically two spiders in America you got to look out for, the black widow and the brown recluse. And so we just, we had them bad at this house. And the problem was, is we loved this house. Yeah. And we got really close to just like shutting the door and moving. Yeah. But yeah, I, I carried one all the way over to England. And, and I, it bit you in England. Yeah, well, I was having my first <laughs> meeting with Matt, with Redmond. Matt and Beth, and I'm in their living room, and I just keep scratching my leg, and I'm trying to kind of lock in and listen to what he's saying, and <laughs> you know, act real interested. And, and uh, finally, he's like, "Hey, can I run to the bathroom?" And yeah, I pulled my pant leg up, and I was like, "Oh snap! I have been <laughs> bit by it." But it turned out to be fine. But your point being, that time in our lives, we were also there was also a shift in uh, our management, yeah. and 
Which I write about in the book as well. Yeah. yeah. Our attack of the killer spiders. Um, <laughs> and the kids were so young. And we would literally put the, we'd put uh, those, um, oh gosh, those glue sticky, sticky glue strips that yeah. you kind of put in the, you know, in the secret corners of your house. So anything that a mouse or a anything walks across it, it'll get stuck there. Yeah. We had those wrapped, you know, out, the sticky part out around each leg of Noah's crib. Yeah. So if anything tried to crawl up. So we just had this It was over- like manifestations. Of yeah, things. we just had okay. this overbearing sense of like Do you remember the morning that the speakers blew up? Like we were in the other room having coffee. Oh, caught on fire, yeah. And we hear literally, do you remember it sounded like a speaker a, on fire. <laughs> but but it sounded like we thought it was like outside, like a steamroller, yeah. like went yeah. through our mailbox or something. Like it sounded like yeah. this massive crash. And we go into the front room and the speakers were on fire. Yeah. My studio was in the front living room at the time. And uh, yeah, it just caught on fire. It was just a there season of that kind of stuff. And I remember you were out of town. You went back over to England. I can't remember if it was which trip it was, but... I remember just sitting there at night at the piano. I know I've talked about this on the podcast too, but just praising in the midnight hour when it felt like such a chaotic time. And like we said, just the kids were little and it just felt like so much was coming against our little family. And you might be in a season like that right now, even just trying to figure out life after a pandemic and the culture and the climate that we're living in right now. It feels so uncertain, and we don't know what's going to come next. And I know that many of you are just trying to raise your families in peace and a sense of rest, and I know what that's like. And so this night, this particular night, Nathan was out of town, and I was up, and I was a little bit afraid, honestly. I felt like there was just a a feel in the house that... um, was unsettling. I remember just opening up my Bible and sitting there, and I just began to sit at the piano and just tell the Lord, come in, Jesus, come invade all that you see of us here. And I say that any man who walked your road, Jesus, who would go to the cross, who would be resurrected from the grave, you're welcome here because you have conquered the grave. You have rescued us. So Jesus, come and walk the halls of this house. You might've seen that I posted that even a few weeks ago. Tread this place and turn it inside out with your mercy. And Jesus, teach us the prayers that open these doors until your light floods in and illuminates these floors. And let your truth be on our steps and in these rooms. Jesus, invade. And that night, that midnight song just rose up in me in that front room, right where those speakers had caught on fire probably a couple of mornings before that. And even as I prayed that prayer, until your light floods in and illuminates these floors, I remember it hadn't been long since we had laid those wood floors ourselves. And they were these white pine floors that I had seen in a country living magazine (laughs) that I just had to have. Of course, the only way we could afford them was to install them ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we installed them, yeah. and they were beautiful. But, uh, but a, then a we... little dad interjection here. <laughs> you guys, all you kids out there need to understand, there's white pine, there's yellow pine, and then there's like oak flooring. The white pine is the softest wood, <laughs> so you look at it and it dents. And we had two little you know, firecrackers for kids, and we had dinged But then those. you stained it. 
Do you remember? Oh, yeah, I stained it. And it w- this was right around the same time. Another, the spider and the speaker. And yeah, another dad lesson. Jesus invade. When you're going <laughs> to when you're gonna stain, this has nothing to do with anything. When <laughs> yes, you're going to stain the all the floors of your entire house, you know, you got this Hire raw, someone. <laughs> hire someone. Well, I started in the front living room in the middle of the room. Right. You always go upstairs to an inconspicuous spot. In your closet. In your closet. And you start there. Then you learn. And then you work your way out to the main. So if you go back to that house. Yeah. To this day. The living room is a little dodgy. You go up to my master closet. It is killer. It is perfect. Perfectly beautiful. (laughs) Lesson learned. Okay. What about Welcome to Delaware? Midnight song. This is Watermark Days. We've come to declare. Is actually what it was. And it's- well, no. Okay, so we wrote a song as Sons and Daughters with Charlie. Before we were Watermark, we were called Sons and Daughters. And we wrote a song called, Oh, We've Come to Declare right. the Beauty of the Lord. Sorry. Um, yeah, and the bass player. Oh, you're right. We I'm, were we were tracking that album. I'm I'm we right. were recording yes. it. <laughs> no, we were tracking that old record with Charlie. We had a song called "We've Come to Declare the Beauty and, of the Lord." And I had sketched out the chart really <laughs> fast, wrote the chords out, wrote the title on the top, and the bass player looks at the title and said, "Welcome to Delaware. What is this?" We're like, he what? was kind of an older guy. Yeah, he probably needed his. His bifocals. And I was like, no, that says, we've come to declare. He was like, oh, okay. I thought this said, welcome to Delaware. Well, even right then, I think I actually sang the tune in the studio. Welcome to Delaware. I looked at you. I was like, that would be a great song, actually. And we kind of were all joking around. Well, sometimes that's how God makes midnight songs happen. But it's usually not till later in the struggle that it comes back to you. And that's what happened. This song is really about... Um, some kind of ministry struggles we went through with some friends. There was a bit of a fallout. God has used a lot of time to heal those things. But in the t- at the time, we were young, as we keep saying. This was when we first got married. The lyrics, it says, Well, it's bitter cold December and the leaves have fallen true. And I do believe I'm still in love with you. I'm talking to the Lord. My scenery keeps changing and sometimes it's hard to view. But you've let me see so much since I've known you. But I headed but I headed to where it seemed like nowhere, but you told me you'd come. You told me you'd meet me here. And you were here to say, welcome to Delaware. I know you've traveled far, and it's a lot colder here than what you're used to. And I know that in the wintertime, things aren't what they used to be. So all you really have here now is me. So of course, this song was about me realizing that when the Lord takes us to a place of relying on Him and and having to literally rely on Him for everything and having to literally put our trust in Him for something that we can't unbreak, something that we can't seem to humanly fix. It's when we're able to really see that all we really need is Him. When When He's all we have, often we have that beautiful lesson to gain and to learn is that He's really all we need. So Welcome to Delaware was one of those songs that started out in a really peculiar way, as we just said. But strangely enough, when we found ourselves in that heartache, the Lord brought that song. It's another one that has a hopeful tune. It's a weighty lyric. Mm -hmm. 
If you just read that and imagined it would be maybe like you'd imagine it with strings and it's very slow and no. but it's actually um, it's a little Beatlesque. Yeah. A lot of people have told us through the years it sounds like yeah. the Beatles to them. So there's that. And then what about Wonderful? A song called Wonderful. This was Christy Knuckles' days. I started recording. Um, Did you just refer to yourself in third person? <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to do that. Um, that just means that at some point, which I talk about a lot in the book, we laid down the watermark journey. And I tell that story in detail of God really calling us to make that decision, which was huge. And it was really a lot about our family, but it was also about me learning to live from a heart of rest. And then after about four but then after about four years, um, after the Lord had really helped me reprioritize my life and He set sort of a new pace, one that was sustainable, I started writing again. And one of the songs, but what I found in that season was just, I wrote a lot in my minivan. That was just life. And this is one of them. I wrote on the way to Target. I started on the way there and I finished it on the way back. I remember getting home and sitting down and singing this song for you. But I do remember at that time I was carrying a lot, had a lot of anxiousness about some tests that were being run on Annie Rose. All that ended up being fine, but just for a little bit there, it was a little touch and go with what was going on with her physically. Um, I remember I was getting ready to leave for a tour. I was trying to ready the house and the kids and Nathan to be able to hold down the fort while I was going to be gone for several days. And it was just one of those moments where I found myself at a stoplight and like my shoulders were up by my ears because I was like so tense. And I remember the Lord just speaking to me like, what are you doing? Like, I'm right here. Just open your mouth and talk to me. And my shoulders just started lowering as I realized like, oh, he's in the car with me. He's right here. And I just started singing this song, Jesus, you are wonderful. So wonderful in all your ways. The highest praise is yours alone, as you are so wonderful, so wonderful you are. And the chorus says, and my life will burn for you because your light shined in the darkness. I was hopeless and you lifted up my head to sing for joy with a song that broke the silence of my worship. Now I'm singing all the day and forevermore, you will be adored because you are so wonderful. I remember coming home and I was really excited about this song and then you were kind of like, I don't get it. <laughs> well, it had a little something to do with I think literally it was midnight. You, it came was down, midnight. you came down to the studio and I was just fried from. <laughs> I've learned that timing is everything. We've taught our kids that too. Like, hey, if you want to answer to something, timing's right. everything. I probably did just come in and you were fried and I sprung it on you. You did. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me of that. The process we go through a lot to where you will be singing a song just in your everyday life in the car or as you're doing whatever you're doing and you're just singing songs, writing them yeah. at the same time. And then you'll come in. Because I hear the, whole, the orchestra you hear in the my whole head. Thing in your head. And you'll come in hot <laughs> and you'll be like, okay. I got this, you know. No music. I'm not playing I'm an instrument. Like, I'm just singing. Yeah, there's it. no instrument. You're just singing. I'm just kind of like I, I think <laughs> I think I understand what you're saying, but not really. Well, and, I just had this moment in the car, bawling with Jesus, like Jesus, you are so wonderful. right. And and I'm trying to bring it <laughs> out of. 
I'm trying to bring it into the physical realm, if yes. you will. And like, how do we, okay, how do I put cords up under that? And a big misfire that we have often, and we just had it yesterday, is you'll sing me something, but I can't find where beat one is. Like one, two, like that one is six, eight. So it's one, two, three, Jesus, four, you are so one, two, yeah. three, four. And I, <laughs> I'm like, is it... Is it Jesus? One, two, three, four, five, right, right. six. And I, I always can't, I can't, I'm off on what you're thinking. So it's a lot of, not a lot. It's about 11 minutes of frustration. Like, Yeah, okay, which is I am, why I'm trying to learn to play the piano, y'all. And I, I'm starting July 1st because, because June. Anyway, because go ahead. June. <laughs> but it's a good, yeah, it's a good lesson though. It To where now we don't, you don't throw out the idea like, well, it's just a stupid idea. Never mind. It's like, okay, he's not understanding. And yeah. I don't get frustrated with like, what you're singing doesn't make sense to me. Right. I don't know what you're doing. But then... We always fight for the breakthrough. Yeah. And and again, we're not... We're just, it's just it's work. So once we work through that, I'm like, okay, now I'm in the same groove yes. of how what you're hearing and, and that's just a great metaphor. Then it gets fun. That's a great metaphor for marriage in general. Always fight for the breakthrough. If the person doesn't get your idea immediately, don't give up on the idea. And if you don't get the idea immediately, keep trying to understand what the other person is saying. That's good. You should put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Be a big t-shirt. Last lamppost. All that is to come. This is from the Lullaby album. I think if there was one song that I wrote so that I would have a song on my mouth to sing in these days, it would be this one. And I think it's because it's what we all have got to do right now in this moment in 2020. I don't know if you've seen that GIF or GIF. Is it a GIF or GIF? I call it a GIF. It's a GIF, a capital GIF. (laughs) I don't know. Like if 2020 were a slide, And it's like this little kid going down a massive metal cheese grater. We are all having to learn to trust God right now with all that is to come. Amen. I think this was a midnight song for us because it kind of happened and stirred right after we moved back to Franklin. And I sort of think it was the end of a season. It was the leaving behind of the old. And it was very much us walking through a new doorway But like I said, you have to make it through that doorway first. And often the new beginning or the resurrection doesn't happen until you're kind of well into that doorway. And you're sort of even just having to put one foot in front of the other, that long obedience in the same direction, even if you feel slow as a turtle, but just being determined to still keep your feet on that narrow path of that doorway and make it through there, that's sort of where this song spilled out of us leaving behind some big things, having to walk into the unknown. I will say this, it seems like just when you think you've found your forever, God just keeps calling you onward. So I think we've learned to not get comfortable, haven't we? We've learned to never say never. (laughs) We've learned to Never say, yep, this is it. This is the house where we're growing old. We're going to stay here forever. Hmm. Just seems like just when you found that, the Lord starts to kind of unearth some things. And this song really came out of Him unearthing things and moving us through a whole new 
doorway, but it's been beautiful to walk through doorways with you for 25 years and to look back on in this moment even what was and to be grateful even right now for what is in the season that we're currently in, all that we're carrying, all that we're holding, but then just to be able to look at each other like we're looking at each other now and just trust God for what's to come, that He's our portion, and that overall we want to be about longevity and to leave a legacy in this life. And it's been fun to wholeheartedly go after the things of God with you in this life. I wouldn't have wanted to choose anyone else. I love you. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. I love you too. And I love you guys. Thanks for being a part of our anniversary today and just helping us remember the faithfulness and the goodness of God, even in this season together. I'll talk to you soon.